It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Benjamin Hall. Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovitz remains in a Russian prison after losing his appeal against the extension of his detention earlier this week. He will remain in prison ahead of his trial for espionage and is being held at the notorious Lefortovo prison in Moscow, where he now faces up to 20 years in jail. But Evan is not the only American who remains a Russian prisoner. For example, former Marine Paul Whelan is still being held under espionage charges and has been in a prison camp for more than four years. Chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Republican Congressman Michael McCall, joined me on the Fox News Rundown this past week to discuss the US government's effort to free Evan and other Americans currently detained wrongfully by Russia. We also spoke to the brother of Paul Whelan, David Whelan, about his brother's case and his family's fight to get him home. We made edits for time and thought you might like to hear our entire conversation with both Congressman McCall and David Whelan. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the weekday Fox News Rundown podcast. Now, here first is Chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Congressman Michael McCall, on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Um, I suppose if we start straight off, um, today we saw Evan Gershkovitz. We saw him in a Russian um, court. He was in that glass cage. He was looking a lot thinner than he used to. When you see that today, how does that make you feel? Well, I mean, it's uh, it's devastating. It's very tragic. And it, yeah, I feel very sad for the family who I've met uh, on a couple of occasions, uh, and especially his mother. Um, I can't imagine what she's going through. And, of course, you know, colleagues at Wall Street Journal um, to see their colleague in this state, to know that he's uh, in a glass cage, um, not obviously not being treated very well. He's lost uh, this amount of weight and um, probably has no access to a, a doctor, um, you know, for the crime he didn't commit. Um, it's just outrageous. And this is how Putin operates. And sadly, uh, it's probably not the end of this. We're going to see more of this taking prisoners for ransom purposes, um, you know, and uh, how can we possibly get them, get them out? Um, and they're going to yeah, hold I mean, them until they, can get, until they can get something that uh, kind of like in the Griner case, that was very unbalanced in terms of the trade. I mean, we were supposed to get Paul Whelan and uh, Brittany Griner out, uh, and they, they only released Brittany Griner who essentially had like a vape pipe in exchange for an arms dealer that we exchanged. Who, who do you think is partly uh, to blame for that decision? Should the administration have stuck and said, no, it is Paul Whelan that we want to, to exchange first? He's been there for four years. He should be a priority. Yeah, I mean, uh, Paul Whelan was a Marine. I think I think it was calculated on Putin's part to... Uh, release the celebrity basketball star, and we're glad that she's home. And then uh, still detain the uh, the Marine uh, symbolically as a slap in the face. I don't think it was a fair trade by any means. Um, 
And, you know, it just emboldens Putin to continue this kind of bad behavior. And it's tricky, right, because you, you want to get them out, um, but you don't want to encourage, you know, further, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, you know, people being imprisoned for no, you know, for no reason and to be held hostage as political pawns. And that's, that's what we're seeing more and more out of uh, Putin and Russia. I mean, it's interesting because the, the, the administration, the U.S. does not negotiate with terrorists. So say ISIS was holding a, a, you know, an American prisoner. We would not negotiate because that could lead to more hostage taking. And yet we do negotiate with Russia at, at the same time. Aren't the two just the same? Right. And I think, you know, just like, you know, with your children, um, if you uh, reward bad behavior, it just encourages more bad behavior. And that's what we're seeing you know, with Putin. I think he knows that if he can get an unfair uh, trade uh, from the United States standpoint, getting an arms dealer for a basketball player who had uh, traces of, you know, uh, this this sort of vape pipe issue, um, he's going to continue to do this. And I think that probably led to to why Evan uh, is in prison today. And we don't want to see more cases like Evan in the future. Now, with ISIS, we probably go in and do what's called a rendition where we would go in with special operators and get our Americans out. Uh, unfortunately, we can't do that in Russia. Yeah. Um, I, when Russia takes an American, shouldn't they be afraid? Shouldn't there be real sanctions? Shouldn't we be in a position where no country around the world would dare risk taking an American on unlawful charges? And how can we set that? How can we make countries more afraid to take, take Americans? Well, projecting strength, not weakness, uh, letting them know that there will be very harsh consequences if they do this, um, and letting them know we're not going to we're going to trade uh, you know prisoners if, if that's what has to be done. That the charges should be more equal and not so disparate as we saw in the Brittany Griner trade for the arms dealer, the Russian arms dealer, and this is a uh, horrible trade that I think just encouraged more bad behavior. And I would argue led to the imprisonment of, you know, of Evan that we're seeing today. And in Evan's case, this is probably the worst that I've seen because he uh, he was simply reporting the news. And, of course, that 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 uh, frightens Putin. The truth, you know, in a dictatorship, they fear the truth more than anything. And it gets out to his own people and he fears his own people. And so that's precisely why I think he he, you know, uh, detained and now imprisoned, uh, Evan. And now we just uh, got the news that he's not going to be released. He's going to be, you know, in a, in a Russian prison uh, and um, maybe to a gulag, you know, like, uh, you know, like Paul Whelan is in now. Yeah. Um, the really harsh conditions, too. And, it, and I feel for the family because, you know, they'll want to do anything to get him out. And, and I certainly understand that. I, but I don't want to encourage more cases like this either. And, uh, you know, I'm personally working uh, through a lot of different channels to get him out of there, Um, you know, through our this administration and our government to other potential um, ways to to get him out. Um, These are very tricky cases. They're very hard uh, because you're really at the mercy. You're at the mercy of of Putin. And um, I think because we have rewarded him in the past, he's going to expect that that same reward, you know, today and in the future. 
other than a prisoner swap, what other methods might be used? What, what other avenues could we take? I mean, sanctions won't work because the Russia is so heavily sanctioned because of the Ukraine invasion. So other than a prisoner swap, what are the other motive, uh, possibilities? Well, we could do secondary sanctions, which we should have done anyway. I mean, the, the sanctions in place are working okay, but not really like secondary sanctions would. And um, I think uh, we should send a stronger statement to them. This is, this is unacceptable. But, um, you know, I think this administration has projected weakness all along, and it just in, it emboldens Putin and encourages this bad behavior, you know, on his part. And um, I think prisoner swaps are usually the way this is, you know, done. Um, I certainly don't want to, you know, funnel money to Moscow that, that just furthers their, you know, invasion and, and illegal war in Ukraine um, and killing of civilians. Uh, so it's a very, you know, it's very complex, very tragic, quite frankly, situation. But, I mean, you're seeing more and more of this. And, and it's to the point, I don't think I've, I've seen, you know, Russia do this uh, to this level in recent history. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. What would your message be to any Americans living or working in Russia at the moment or any American who is thinking about traveling there? I'd be very careful that, that you could be the victim of one of these political pawn, you know, imprisonment cases. Uh, and uh, to any reporter, certainly in, in Russia, that uh, what happened to Evan can happen to you, that you could be charged with espionage just for reporting the truth about what is happening. Uh, in Russia and in Ukraine. Um, so they, they're in a very uh, precarious, dangerous situation. I've traveled to Russia, you know, myself, and I was under very heavy surveillance. So I think any American traveling to Russia that could be compromised, I, I would, I, would uh, I think they should take uh, notice of this, what's happening over there, and, and also be aware of the fact that you're probably going to be under surveillance. And if you can be compromised, they're going to try to compromise you. And if they can get something out of you in a prisoner swap, they may likely detain and imprison you. Um, and I do think we need to send a stronger message to Putin that this is just not acceptable. And, and the worst thing, if we if we trade something like we did with Brittany Griner now, you know, um, it's just going to encourage, again, more bad behavior. And, you know, Paul Whalen's been over there for years now. Um, he was supposed to be part of this last deal, and at the last minute, the Russians, um, you know, Putin um, broke his promise on that. Do you think that it's we should still have an ambassador in Russia? Is there any sort of diplomatic um, changes that could happen? I do. I, I do, because I, I do think you have, need to have an open line of communication. That's important. Um, as bad as this situation is, uh, I think it's important that, um, you know, any, any ambassador serving in Moscow, I mean, I've been to that embassy, and they, they sacrifice a lot on the personal side of things as well. It's not, not exactly a, a great uh, uh, assignment, if you will, but it's a very important one. And I do think it's important we have a diplomatic presence for situations like this, 
because we, you know, like it or not, they are you know, they're a foreign adversary, but we have to have open lines of communication to get Americans out when they're wrongfully detained and imprisoned. But I do think a stronger message needs to be sent to Putin that we will not accept this behavior. Uh, well, so how do you think the administration has, is dealing with this at the moment, if they're not sending a strong enough message? Well, I think an easy fix, I, I've, I've encouraged secondary sanctions just based on their invasion of Ukraine. And I think, you know, that would be a strong tool, that if you continue taking Americans hostage like this, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to go forward with secondary sanctions. And that, that would really cripple the Russian economy. And this administration has gone light on them, in my judgment, um, you know, and even in terms of weapons going into Ukraine. But I think the secondary sanctions threat, that would be a very strong message to Putin that he would take very seriously. Yeah. What, what is your message to Evan right now? If Evan were able to listen to hear you today, what would you say to him? That we're with you, um, that we're working every channel possible to get you out of there, um, and that we, um, we're praying for you. Um, we're going to put, and I and the Congress will continue to put pressure on Putin and Russia. We passed a strong resolution condemning his wrongful detainment of Evan and imprisonment. And, um, you know, uh, we're just not going to tolerate this holding U.S. citizens hostage under false pretenses. And that if they do continue this and if they don't free Evan, that in the Congress, even if this administration won't do it, we'll, we'll pursue secondary sanctions on Putin and Russia. Yeah, oh, great. Congressman McCall, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, all the best to you and, um, and thank you. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks so much, Ben. We thank Congressman McCall for his effort to bring home Evan Gershkovitz and others. Now, here is David Whalen, brother of wrongfully detained Paul Whalen, on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Yeah, Dave, I, I suppose in some sense I share something with Paul in that I was, you know, in one sense I was attacked by Russia myself last year. Um, and so I suppose stories like this, um, you know, are, are really personal to me as well. And, and I think that there's something that at the very top of my agenda as to what the work I want to keep doing um, you know, is getting this message out. Keep talking about Paul, keep talking about Evan as well. Um, but of course, Paul has been there for over four years now. And so right. much has changed in that time. And I wonder if you could just tell me what the last four years, more than four years have been like for you. Wow, that's a huge question. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, uh, you realize when you look back in your life that uh, you make changes, uh, you make decisions, you get married, you have kids, you know, you change jobs, whatever. Um, I think that uh, it's hard for people to understand how something like this changes the people who are involved in it, not just the person who is uh, incarcerated, but uh, the family as well. Um, I can't even imagine what it's been like for Paul and and, and who he is now. Uh, and not being able to talk to him and really understand in detail uh, what his experience has been like, um, the fear that he may have experienced, the uncertainty about his future, uh, the anxiety that he must go through every single day, um, wondering if, I mean, as you've experienced, the Russian government isn't uh, doesn't care about human decency, doesn't care about the individual. And so uh, I, I think that that's, uh, that's a challenge that everybody in our family has faced, but I can't even imagine 
what it's been like for Paul. Yeah. Well, how much do we know about his current conditions? Where is he being held? And, and what is what is life, what is daily life like for him? For the first 18 months, he was held at Lafortova pretrial detention in Moscow. And then he was moved in June of 2020, I guess it was, to uh, IK-17, which is a, a labor camp in Mordovia, which is a, a republic in the Federation. And he's been there for the last three years, almost exactly three years. And uh, he uh, he seems to be doing fine. I mean, his he's been taking care of his health. That we've been sending him what we can as far as over the counter medicines, uh, food to supplement the food that they get in prison, which isn't very much. Um, there's an assumption that prisoners will pay for their own nutrition, uh, and so we do our best to get that to him. Uh, he's allowed four packages a year, so the U.S. Embassy and the other embassies have been really good at taking those packages for us, uh, because we don't have Russian bank accounts. We don't have the ability to get him. Uh, resources inside the the, uh, the country, so it's difficult. But he's doing the best he can. I think he's done a remarkable job of surviving day to day. What are the conditions like in the camp? I mean, is he a, what, what what kind of a cell is he in? Does he share that with with other other people? Um, it, it, during the day, is he allowed to move around? Well, what is that like? I think in the West, it would be considered an open prison of sorts. Uh, it's obviously um, contained, but they live in barracks. Uh, and then they spend most of the day, six days a week in the factory, sewing uh, whatever clothing that they're required to make. Mm. Um, is he able to, does he speak Russian? Is he able to communicate with people around him? Does he have some sort of a network there or colleagues or people that he can at least you know, talk to? Uh, as far as I know, he still doesn't speak Russian, although he, I think he's picked up uh, words and sentences uh, to, be, to be able to communicate. Uh, he does have people that he is able to uh, interact with and trust. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, again, I think it's survival tactics. He's figured out a way to get through and he's found people that, uh, he can, uh, I don't know if a lie with is, is the correct uh, term, but, uh, uh, he has figured out a way to get along with the people who are there. How, how often, um, are your parents able to speak to him? I believe they've had some phone calls with him, but how often is there a contact between you, him and the family? Uh, it's usually on a daily basis. It was on a daily basis up until two or three weeks ago. Um, he was able to make 15-minute calls to our parents. Uh, and then uh, there was a uh, RT News uh, crew came out to the prison, and Paul refused to speak to them. And ever since then, the uh, prison guards have been disrupting the phone calls, his ability to call the embassy or to call home. And uh, it's that sort of retaliation, that uncertainty, that uh, you never really know um, what's going on day to day. Yeah. Um, going back to when uh, Paul was arrested, what were the Russian accusations against him, and sort of how how wrong are they? I think they couldn't be more wrong. Uh, they accused him of uh, espionage, and uh, they said that a USB drive given to him by a friend had some sort of state secret on it. Uh, no one has ever seen it. Uh, the lawyers, uh, I'm not sure, have seen it either. Um, but uh, we certainly don't have any idea what that was. And, and Paul never saw it either because he uh, was given the USB drive and then was immediately arrested by state security services. Hmm. When you look at how the administration, for example, has been handling this in the U.S. as well, what is your relationship like with the administration? How open is the dialogue between between you and them? Well, we're on our second administration and our, I think, third or fourth ambassador. So, you know, we've gone through a lot of uh, U.S. government officials. I think it has improved over time uh, as we have worked on Paul's case. It's taken us a while to work towards the top of the administration and to get the attention of the president. We weren't able to do that during the Trump administration. We've been able to do that under the Biden administration. And I think part of that reflects 
not only our evolution of how to uh, advocate for Paul, but also the U.S. government really coming to terms with these wrongful detentions, which are not your typical hostage situation. Um, and I think that the U.S. government has, to the extent that we've been able to have interactions with them, ha uh, been very positive, uh, supportive of us to the extent that they can. Who who are you sort of dealing with directly? Like, are you directly with uh, sort of the hostage liaison team at the State Department? Uh, is oh, there's a White House hostage negotiation team as well? Who is it? Uh, we work mostly with the uh, uh, Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs office. And have you noticed there been sort of a more of an uptick in trying to get Paul out at the moment? Has that sort of quietened down a bit? Like, where is the level of support right now? Well, I think I would describe it as consistent, uh, but not more or less. I think that the State Department tends to try something uh, and then it, it waits to see if that will have results, uh, which can be frustrating for a family because we obviously want Paul to come home as soon as possible. So we want everything to be tried that can be tried. Um, but I think that they are they they try things and then they uh, if those things uh, don't get a response from the Kremlin, then they try uh, additional uh, uh, efforts to get Paul home. But what sort of things could they be trying? I mean, we've all seen, we, we understand sort of the, the prisoner negotiations and the swaps, but like, what else can they be trying? What else have they tried? Well, I think the focus right now is on prisoner swaps. And it's unfortunate, really, because that uh, that makes it very difficult uh, because it locks the U.S. government into a single focus on how they want to uh, get Americans home. Uh, the Russian government has expressed in the past that they might want their diplomatic properties back, uh, the ones that were uh, removed from them under the Obama administration. Um, there are obviously a lot of sanctions on Russians, both individuals and the country right now. And so maybe sanctions relief would be another thing. So I think it's unfortunate the Kremlin has really uh, navigated these discussions into uh, people exchanges, um, and that makes it very difficult. So was the State Department or the White House, they were not keen on any of the other sort of, say, uh, return of diplomatic property, um, removal of any sort of sanctions? I'm not sure where the resistance is. Uh, my sense is that the Kremlin is where the resistance is rather than the U.S. Uh, being unwilling to try things. Yeah. What is the negotiation like? Who are they speaking to specifically in Russia? Do you know what that level of negotiation is like? Back in 2021, President Putin designated a channel for discussions about exchanges. Uh, and so whoever that person is, it's outside of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Uh, and that is who the U.S. government has been discussing it with. Uh, Russian media has suggested it's either Narishkin or Bortnikov, but I'm not sure. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting when you come to the hostage negotiations, because how can you. How can you put people on, on you know, on a par? And so we've seen some pr prisoner swaps recently. Um, but who was deciding, say, who Victor Boot would be swapped for? You know, who, who made those decisions? What part? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Um, you must be annoyed to a certain degree. Or, or How do you feel, of course, seeing Brittany Griner, Trevor Reed be swapped when Paul has not yet been released? You may understand this. Uh, when you're dealing with Russia, you realize that they are willing to do things that we aren't willing to do, Western countries aren't willing to do, in part because I don't think they care about the individual person. Um, I was thrilled when Brittany Griner came home and I was thrilled when Trevor Reed came home and so many others. I mean, the Sitco Six from Venezuela, uh, 
um, Danny Fenster from uh, Malaysia, uh, from uh, uh, Burma, Myanmar. Uh, and uh, so I was uh, thrilled with all of those but because I think if, if you start to focus only on Paul and, you know, why isn't Paul coming home? Uh, I think you start to lose your humanity and become a lot like the Kremlin is. Um, and so, uh, you know, I would obviously love to have my brother home, but I don't resent or begrudge these other Americans uh, their freedom at all. Did you ever get the feeling that there was sort of more attention placed on Brittany Griner or Trevor Reed in the U.S. than perhaps there was on Paul? No, I don't think so. I think that uh, there are solid metrics to show that that's not true. Um, you know, it feels like it. There's obviously the the cognitive bias that you you see a lot of news and you think that someone's getting a lot of coverage. But the other part of that is that media mostly has an impact at the beginning of these cases. Once the State Department and the White House is engaged, which was our struggle really for the first two years, once they're engaged, though, media has very little to do with the State Department or the, the White House making uh, decisions and taking action on behalf of the prisoner. Uh, how has Paul felt? Uh, have you spoken to him specifically about, obviously, you know, um, Trevor coming back to the U.S. and Brittany coming back to the U.S.? How does that make Paul feel? I think he's just like we are. Uh, he's very disappointed that he has not come, ho come home. Um, but I think he understands that uh, it's important to get Americans home when you have the opportunity to do so. And so the administration has done a good job of getting Americans home. And we hope that eventually Paul will be one of those Americans that gets to come home. Do you think that there might be a, a different sort of angle from the U.S. whereby instead of just trying to opt for a prisoner exchange, that there should be more forceful response that could more sanctions be put? I mean, they're under a lot of sanctions because of the Ukraine war. But is there another more aggressive um, angle that they could take? You know, it, it seems to me that Russia is not afraid to take Americans right now, that there's very little impact on them for doing so. Shouldn't they be afraid? Shouldn't Russia be afraid if they grab any American unlawfully? And isn't there more that could be done to make them fearful? One would think so. I agree with you. I think that uh, what has happened, certainly perhaps with Paul's case being an early uh, example of this, is that the U.S. government was not prepared for how to deal with countries, not just Russia, Iran with uh, Simak Namazi and Ahmad Chargi and China with Kylie and Mark Swyden. Uh, these countries have been taking Americans not as hostages, but uh, for diplomatic purposes. And the uh, American government has been slow to respond, I think. Uh, and I think that they're going to get there, but you're right. I think there needs to be a more forceful response to uh, deter these countries from uh, taking Americans. Uh, and, and that means that the US government has to plan in advance for these things to happen. I'm confident that the Russian government is looking for another American to uh, waylay. They have waylaid and detained four Americans in the last four or five years. So uh, I'm, I'm sure that there will be another one. And so hopefully the U.S. government is figuring out because the pr prisoner exchanges are not working and the sanctions are not doing anything, uh, that there must be other ways to exert pressure either directly or through third, third party countries uh, to get uh, the Kremlin and these other countries to act. What exactly is Russia looking for? What exactly does Russia want when it when it takes an American? Boy, that's the $64,000 question. I really don't know. I mean, uh, it seems to be based on the charges that they they uh, put on the person, because obviously the charges are fake. The espionage charges in Paul's case or Mr. Gershkovich's case or or a number of other uh, cases, Frodeberg, um, Zemina, all these other cases that have, have been charged with treason or espionage are all false. Uh, so there seems to be some sort of creating a, an equivalence or as the Russian media calls it, an exchange fund. Um, in order for the Kremlin to then be able to leverage things from other countries to get U.S. concessions. And uh, 
uh, I think the, the struggle that the U.S. government has had in Paul's case is that they don't really know what it is that the Kremlin wants. And uh, I, I certainly don't know either. Are there any Russian individuals at the moment being held prisoner who are prisoners in the U.S. who could be on the table for prisoner swaps? I think the Kremlin is aware of all the potential uh, individuals in Russian in uh, U.S. custody, um, and they do not seem to have any interest in any of them. Hmm. When you say they have no interest in any of them, you mean that they will have been potentially offered as part of prisoner swaps? I would assume that if they uh, were interested in getting someone who was in U.S. custody, that the, the U.S. government would consider it. Uh, it would be a discussion, I'm sure, with the Department of Justice, whether they were willing to give up someone in uh, Bureau of uh, Prisons custody. Um, but I think that that would be open to it. Could there perhaps be, I think there are a few Russians being held, you know, in South America and I think in Eastern Europe at the moment who could potentially be swapped through the U.S.? Is that also a consideration? Well, I think that that's something we're interested in, too. Uh, we saw this with uh, the Frode Berg case. We saw it with uh, Namar uh, Issachar's case, um, where the U.S. government interacted with a third country in order to uh, deliver concessions to free an American. Um, there are seven Russian uh, uh, people who are uh, alleged to be Russian illegals uh, being held around the world right now. Norway's got some, Sweden's got some, Slovenia, and, and, and so on. Um, so it may be that the U.S. government is able to persuade some of those countries to uh, use them uh, as concessions, and then the U.S. government uh, is able to work through those countries. But uh, it's hard to it's hard to say. I think that there is a, a Russian being held in Germany for uh, assassinating a Chechen. Um, that one clearly is not going to be used in a in a an exchange. It's hard to know. Do you think that, uh, and in what ways do you think the Ukraine? The war in Ukraine has perhaps changed Russia's position on, on these negotiations. I don't think it's had any effect on the negotiations at all. It's probably impacted the prisoners in, in that Paul is getting you know, less food and things like that because of the, the uh, sanctions that are hitting the Russian economy. Um, but the relationship with the U.S. government and the Russian Federation was so low, even when the war started. I'm not sure that the, uh, the war has had any impact on, on those sorts of discussions. What what kind of uh, how has he seen life change because of the war? You said few less food. Have there been mark mark differences now? I would say uh, a number of differences. Uh, as you say, um, uh, Paul has seen le uh, less food coming to the prisoners. Uh, they have uh, fewer textiles to work on, so they are often idle, uh, which is not a great way to spend your time in in a prison. Uh, about 100 of the prisoners uh, went off to the Ukraine war working. Uh, they were contracted with Wagner. Uh, so the prison population has uh, gotten a little bit smaller. So he says it's not as crowded as it was before. Um, there are things like uh, we used to be able to send uh, money using Western Digital to a greengrocer nearby, and he could get fresh fruits and vegetables. Uh, Western Digital pulled out of uh, um, Russia. So we don't have any ability to do that sort of thing. So it's it's sort of around the edges. It's uh, it, It's just a diminution of living. Yeah. Uh, you said before that you really want to keep pressure on the White House at the moment. You really want to keep this pressure building uh, so that people you know, are constantly thinking about Paul. And how can you do that? What, what do you need to keep doing? What is the, the message from, from you and the family? Our message is really focused on the White House and, we, uh, and, and working with people in the State Department or the uh, National Security Council uh, to stay on top of what what are they doing? You know, uh, have they tried something? And, and, and if they have tried, what is the result of it? And and to suggest maybe not to wait too long before they try something else. 
Um, we've been fortunate to have the support of uh, the Michigan delegation in Congress, uh, both uh, Representative Haley Stevens and Senator uh, Gary Peters have put forth resolutions calling for Paul's release. Uh, both of them, it's the third time that they've done it. It's the third Congress to consider uh, a resolution. Um, so uh, I think we are trying to continue the advocacy where we can, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to, is the Kremlin going to take a concession and what concession is the US government willing to make? And and that's that's really, those are the only uh, actions that can uh, bring Paul home. Is there anything that you would like to see the State Department do that the White House, for example, hasn't done yet that you're asking for that you think would be really useful? Uh, no, I think that from the very start, uh, I've realized, you know, I'm a librarian. I don't know diplomatic uh, discussions or uh, that sort of negotiating level. I'm happy to leave that to the experts. I trust that they will do what they can. Um, it's obviously taken a long time uh, and it may take many more years. It's uh, it's really hard to know. It would be disappointing if that was the case. Um, but I realize that these are very tricky, tricky times and uh, uh, it's a very tricky situation. What would you like all our listeners to know? In what way can they help? Is there anything that listeners can do to try and help this cause to keep the voice going? Really, the best thing you can do for any prisoner, whether it's Paul or Evan Gershkovich or any any uh, one who is detained in this sort of situation, is to remind them uh, about uh, about their human humanity. I think uh, one of the things we heard when Brittany Griner came home was how much she appreciated getting letters and mail from people. Uh, and and Miss Griner was very gracious at, at, at encouraging people to write to Paul. And so I would say the same thing. Go to freepaulwhelan.com and uh, find the address that's on that website. It's, a, it's an American address. It's at the State Department. Uh, and send Paul a letter. That's really the best thing you could do. Don't send any packages because he only gets four a year. Um, and we do use that for food and mail. But uh, uh, send Paul a letter or a postcard and just let him know that you remember him and that you're, you're thinking about him. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, when it comes to Paul's case, is there anything else that you want to say that you think is really important that, that our listeners need to know? I don't think so. No. Perfect. Uh, look, I'm so grateful for your time today. And, um, you know, if you need anything at all, if there's stories, if there's word that you want out there, please get in touch with me. Let me know. We'll keep doing as much as we can um, to keep people thinking about Paul, writing letters to Paul, uh, you know, and, and doing the little bit that we can. So, David, it's a pleasure to meet you in person or remotely. And I hope we get to meet in person one day as well with Paul, too. Sounds great, Ben. I appreciate your time. Thanks. Thanks, sir. Take care. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.